So how can Jesus say to us, don't worry. Command us. Don't be anxious about your life. I think back to the moment in my life when I worried the most. That for Misty and I, our first pregnancy ended in, in a miscarriage, and, and it was devastating. More so to Misty than me at first. I was, I was going to school and working two jobs at the time, so my mind was distracted. At least in the moments of the grief, it didn't come, but eventually it came. And it came because about a month after we suffered the miscarriage, we were pregnant again. Which meant now, every doctor's visit Misty went to, I, I was afraid. Every time Misty felt a pain, I, I was terrified. I worried. Now, I'm not by, not by nature a worrier. Right? I think I have a pretty calm disposition, but in that moment, I worried more than I ever have in my entire life. I wondered if if the same disaster would happen to us again, I wondered if we would even ever have kids. So how can Jesus look at me in that moment of my life and say to me, don't worry. Don't be anxious about your life. I mean, how can he say that to us? Because I guarantee every one of us walked in to this morning with something to worry about. A child, a job, a parent, a spouse, a test that's coming up, a project that's due. We all have something to worry about. Transparently, if, if I already spoke to the time I was most worry, worried about in my life, this may be the second most season of worry for me in my life. That Jesus commands to me in this moment, at least in my life, to not worry, to not be anxious, just seems out of touch with reality. That I worry about what kind of father and husband I am. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-month-old at home, and I wonder, am I messing them up? (laughs) Am I I a good father? I worry about the the stage we're in as a church, right? Year two, we started a year ago, we're entering into year, and every every year two, and every church planner I talked to before we started said year two is the hardest. I'm feeling that and seeing that now. I'm worrying. And Jesus looks at me, and he looks at you, And he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious about your life. And it seems to me like he's completely out of touch with reality. That he does not live in the real world that you and I live in. Because you are worrying and so am I. And Jesus is telling us to stop. So what is he saying to us in this passage? Two things I want to bring out. For us, he's saying here. One is, is why we've tried to stop worrying and can't. And second, where your worry should lead you. So why you tried to stop worrying, you can't. And second, where your worry should lead you. And what should start with for us is that actually to be a little bit encouraged because Jesus actually affirms there are lots of reasons to worry. That Jesus is not saying in this passage, hey, you have nothing to worry about. What's your problem? There's, there's really nothing wrong in the way. He's not saying that he's actually saying you have lots of things to worry about. He actually kind of goes through the, the many things that you and I could worry about, starting with our, our basic needs for food, for clothing, for drink. Look what he says in, in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or what you will wear, nor about your body, which you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Now, because we live in, 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 frankly, such an affluent culture, it's, it's hard to miss the reality of what Jesus is saying 
here to these people who in that day, their fear of having their basic needs met was a very real, real fear. And, and although there are many poor and vulnerable in our culture, in, our, in, in Johnson County among us, for most of us, this is not a worry that we tend to have. But in Jesus' day, food supplies were entirely built on how much it rained and how bad the pests were if locusts came. And so if there was too little rain and too many pests, your entire food supply could be destroyed. It was disastrous. It would lead to famine. And in Lamentations 4, the author there says that it's better to die by a sword than by the slow, painful death of a famine. The author of Lamentations is basically saying war is to be preferred over famine. That's how terrible famine is. And so it's no wonder that these people worried about these basic needs being met. But Jesus is saying to these folks, that's not the real reason you worry. Underneath your worry for food and for clothing and for drink, there, there's something else. That's not the real reason you're worrying. And we're proof of that, right? Because most of us don't just have today's meals provided for us. You, you unpack our, our pantry and our fridge. We have the next three weeks of meals planned out for us. And yet we still worry. We have all the food we need, all the drink we need, all the clothing we need, but we still worry. So Jesus moves on. It's, listen, you're worried about your food, clothing, drink. That's a good reason to be worried, but it's not really why you're worrying. So he moves next to our worry about our health and death. Look what he has to say in, in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now Jesus is basically saying to you, hey, listen, you're going to die anyway. And you can worry about it a whole lot, but you're not going to live any longer because you're going to still die at the same time you're going to die anyway, right? And it's kind of a dark encouragement, right? Hey, don't worry about death because you're going to die, right? It's not exactly the most encouraging thought. And yet what he's saying is you can't worry about it. Worrying about your health is not going to give you, do you any good. And yet, again, if you unpack underneath what Jesus is saying is, is your fear over getting sick, dying, death, there's another fear underneath that fear. And so Jesus then moves on. He speaks to our desire to accomplish. And he talks about the lilies of the field, right? Verse uh, 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. The Jesus is here speaking. I think one of the greatest reasons you or I worry is our desire to accomplish, to do things, whether it's at work, whether it's with our family, whether it's our own personal future, we have a, a future in mind we see, and we want that future to come about, and so we work at it endlessly. We toil and we spin. And the reality is, with, with your work, with your families, with your vocation, that work, what you could do with that work, it's never finished. You could always say more. You could always do more. You could always stay later at work. There's always more to do. Jesus says, but the flowers, they don't toil. They don't have to work endlessly. And in Luke 5, this word toil, it describes working all nights and producing nothing, right? And some of us, we've had those nights, staying all night with our kids, staying all night at work, and nothing, no fruit comes from that effort. And so in our work, in our parenting, in our, our lives, we try to take control. We cannot relax. We think that the worst will happen unless I grab the bull by the horns and take control. And so we toil, but the reality is, even if you accomplished everything you wanted in your vocation, your career, even if your kids turned out exactly the way that you wanted them to turn out, it still wouldn't matter. 
you would worry. Because even once you get all your ducks in a row and everything's right, like the one moment you actually do that in your life, Jesus reminds you, well, tomorrow it's all going to change anyway. Right, verse 34 where he ends. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When you think about it, this is pretty dark encouragement, for, uh, again, from, from Jesus. He's, he's basically saying, listen, I've seen tomorrow, and it's terrible. It actually gets worse for you. So let's just worry about today, all right? Today gets wor- tomorrow gets worse. Today's bad, but tomorrow's worse. So just worry about today. That's all he's saying. All right, that you can, have, you can have your life just the way you want it, and tomorrow it all changes. And one day it will all change tomorrow. But Jesus is saying that that's not why you're worrying. The underneath all of your, your fears, all of, of, of what you um, are afraid of, there is a, another reason that you're actually worrying. Right? That those are all good reasons to worry. Basic needs, desire to accomplish good things in life, the desire to be healthy and live a long, fruitful life. Those are good things, but Jesus is saying that is not why you're worrying. So why? What is Jesus saying to us, why have we tried to stop worrying and yet can't? This is when Jesus almost sounds like he's got ADHD, right? He's like, don't worry about your clothing. Hey, look at those birds. All right, don't, don't be anxious about your life. Did you see those flowers over there? Right? They, the, the flowers, they don't toil and they, they, or spin, but, but did you see the grass? It's like, what? Jesus, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you saying? What is your point? And he, listen, here's what he's saying. The reason you worry, the reason I worry, is because you and I do not live in the real world. We don't see the real world. Now, Jesus is basically saying this to you. How many birds did you drive by on the way to church, and did you remember to stop and feed them? There are 400 billion birds on the earth right now. Do you have a plan to feed them all? Or when you walked into this building this morning, did you notice all of the trees on the north side and did you remember to water them all? Did you stop? Do we need to stop church now so you can get out and do that and, and make sure the trees don't die today? His basic point is you're living in a world that God is meticulously caring for and you have no idea. So much you walk by that we don't see the real world and so we worry. I mean, I mean think about the planet we're on right now. We're on a near-perfect giant sphere that's traveling 67,000 miles per hour while we're spinning at the same time, right? Do, you, do any of you know how to make sure we keep going 67,000 miles an hour around the sun? No. In the book of Hebrews, it says that God holds it all. The birds, the trees, the flowers, the spinning planet we're on, the universe itself, it, it's all held together by the word of his power. That is the real world. And so is that the world that you live in? Do you see why you worry, why I worry? And about 10 years ago, I spent several weeks in the western part of the United States. One of the, the, my favorite things I did during that season was go backcountry hiking, which meant I was back and out into places that people don't go, that people aren't there, they, they, don't, they don't go there. It's, it's far away from existence. And I was in places probably only a few dozen people would be in, in an entire year. And I, frankly, that was the most beautiful, the, the most beautiful scenery I've seen in my entire life. The, 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 the vegetation, the, the mountains, the, 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 the sunsets, it was, it was incredible. And, and when I was there, the, struck hit me, or the, th- the thought hit me that this is gratuitous beauty. 
God has made all of this, the the mountains that I'm looking at, the sunset, the the flowers that are all around me. Not because other people are going to see them, but just because he wants to. It's gratuitous beauty. And Jesus is saying, if if God does that, if if he paints a meadow of flowers, whether anyone sees it or not, or if he plants a mountain range, whether anyone will see it or not, just for beauty's sake, if he does that with those things, then what's he going to do with your life? Which Jesus makes clear is far more valuable than birds or than flowers or than mountain ranges. If God is meticulously feeding birds and planting flowers, what is he doing with your life? How is he at work in your life? That we worry because we don't see the real world. We don't have an accurate picture of reality, and so we worry. That as Tim Keller says, worry ultimately is, is believing that God's not going to get it right. Or for some of us, God doesn't even enter the equation. Right? Worry just means if I don't, it won't. Right? I've got to take control. It's on me. If I don't accomplish this, if I don't do this, it's never going to happen. And Jesus just says, no, you're wrong. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at this entire creation of existence that you don't contribute much of anything to when you really think of it. And it all runs. It all goes. It's beautiful. And if God cares for all of that and is intimately involved in all of the things around you that you walk by and you don't see every day, how much more is he at work in your life? Trust him. That's what Jesus is saying here. Trust God. So that's why we, we, can't, we try to stop worrying, but we can't. We don't live in the real world. And so the second reality then is, okay, well, where should our, our worry lead us? And, and I want to be... I want to be careful here because there's a difference between, between worry and severe anxiety disorders. Right? There's, a, there's a distinction between those two things. And even though I, th- I think Jesus is saying you need to bring your worry to me, there's also far deeper worry, which this is why as a church we affirm counseling, we affirm um, um, psychology, we affirm those disciplines because they can speak to our fears and anxieties in incredibly deep ways. And yet I don't want to miss the promise Jesus is making to us in this passage. So there's a tension here that, that I just want to name. So here in Matthew 6, where he's saying our worry should lead us is, is around this word seek. It shows up twice in Matthew 6. That In verse 32 is the first place that, that it shows up. It says, for the Gentiles, they seek after all these things. For health, for security, for wealth, possessions. They seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. This, this verse is why we included verse 24 in our scripture reading this morning. Why we had Steve read, you cannot serve God in money. The, it, the reality is what Jesus is saying is if your primary aim in, in life is to get material blessings for yourself, right? If you, want, if you want lots of clothing, lots of food, lots of drink, lots of wealth, then you are going to worry. Because remember last week, all of those things are fleeting. Moths destroy, thieves break in and steal. If that is your ultimate concern in life, you are in trouble. You're, of course you're going to worry about those things. Because those things are going away. So you can serve money, you can serve possessions, or you can serve God. Which is the next place Jesus uses this word seek, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. But this word seek is a common one used in scriptures. It's used of 
police who were seeking to arrest someone. It's used of someone who seeks someone else who owes them money. So what Jesus is basically saying here is you need to, you need to seek after me like I owe you money. Like, like I'm in debt to you. That's, that's the passion with which you should come after me. And so look at your calendar. Look at your use of money. Look at your worries, your fears, your hopes. What are you seeking? And this is where I want to be really clear. Jesus, he's not offering you really great techniques about how to deal with your worry, right? He's not saying you need to have this breathing pattern or take this yoga class or here's a stress ball. He's not offering you techniques on how to worry less. What he's offering you is himself, to seek him. The earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus had said, I am the one bringing the kingdom of God into the world. A pretty audacious claim in and of itself. But then when he says here, I want you to seek first the kingdom, what he's saying is I want you to seek me. I'm the one bringing the kingdom. Seek me first. Which is incredibly audacious, isn't it? I mean, imagine someone coming up to me in the middle of, of a season of suffering through, through a miscarriage, or imagine someone coming up to you in, in some of your seasons of greatest worry, coming up to you and saying, hey, listen, I can cure all your worries. Just seek me you would probably hit that person, right? I mean, you would, you would be angry at that person. And that, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you don't come to me, you're going to keep worrying. I mean, he's either crazy or a jerk or can actually help. Jesus is not just an ordinary teacher offering you advice. He's claiming to do far more than that. Which raises the question for me, okay, so how? How can Jesus begin to deal with my worry? And to that question, I want to say three, three, three things, three ways out of this text Jesus can help you begin to deal with your worry. The, the first, if you seek the kingdom, you will get everything that you hope for. Did you hear what Jesus said in, in the second scripture that we read this morning? Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. The ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who knocks, or in the ones who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Now, a lot of Christians have badly misunderstood this text. Like Jesus is saying, God will give you whatever it is that you ask for. Which is wrong, because Jesus has just told you what to ask for. He's told you to seek first his kingdom. And so now when he comes down and says, ask, and, it'll be, and you'll be given to you, seek, you will find. He's, tell, he's already told you what to seek after is his kingdom. Seek the life Jesus has been talking about on the Sermon of, on the Mount, a life of, of, of generosity and not greed, a life of love and not lust, a life, of, a life of joy and not anger. That is what Jesus is telling you to ask for. And if you ask him for it, it's, it's yours. You will have it. And maybe you're, you're sitting there and saying, but, but Tim, wait a minute. I, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking on the door like crazy, but God isn't answering Jesus offers us some hard medicine to that. That's a good question. It's a good frustration. But Jesus is responding to that implicitly with what, what he says. Look what he says in verses 9 through 11. After he gives you this outlandish promise, ask, it's yours. Seek, you'll find. Here's what he says next. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
that Jesus gives you four words here that, that, that should change your prayer life and should change the way you think about your request before God. Four words. You who are evil. I mean, hopefully you're a little offended at that. Jesus said that about you, but he did. He said that about me too. You are evil. And that has two implications for, for prayer. That one, it means Jesus is very clear. God is very different than us. We are evil, but he is not. And if I'm evil, that means I'm going to ask for snakes from God, for stones. All right, there are so many things that I ask for, and I don't really know what it is that I'm asking for. That I may think it's bread, I may think it's good, but I don't know. And I cannot approach my prayer life, approach my request before God like I know more than I do. I don't know more. I don't know much. Two, the other implication for prayer is that God is a good father. And no matter what you think he's doing in your life, no matter if you think he's given you a snake or stone or he's not answering a prayer, he should answer. Remember, this, this God feeds birds and paints meadows with flowers. And just because he's not answering your prayer in the way that you hope does not mean he cannot be trusted. And it does not mean that he does not love you. That we have to go back to the fact is we don't really know what it is we're praying for ever. <laughs> for example, my, my son Micah is two years old. He loves pretzels. Uh, but for, for some reason, he, he doesn't call them pretzels. In his brain, when he hears pretzels, another word comes out. And so anytime he asks for pretzels, he actually asks for penance. That's what he calls pretzels. So if you came to my house, you would hear Micah constantly asking me for penance. Right? You think he's some weird pastor's kid who's always asking for discipline because he sinned. Right? You think this is, this is a weird house, I'm out. Right? He's always asking for penance, but he's not. He wants a pretzel, and he has no idea what he's asking. And when you pray, when I pray, we, we think we know what we're asking for, but we don't. We don't. So Tim Keller explains verses 9 through 11 like this, that God, in prayer, gives you what you would have asked for, if you had known everything he knows. But we don't know everything he knows. And so our prayer is seeking, is asking, is knocking. We do know at the end of whatever prayer we pray is the kingdom life. He has promised us that he will give us that. A life of true peace, joy, love, happiness. But it may feel like at times God has placed snakes on that road for us, but he hasn't. And if, they, if it seems like snakes, it's only because you don't yet see, you don't yet know what God knows. So if you seek his kingdom, if you want the kingdom life, it's yours. You will get everything you hope for. Second, the way that seeking Jesus can help you begin to deal with, with your worries is if, if you seek the kingdom, you can rest. All right, the kingdom you're seeking in Christ is a kingdom where not, only, not even God works seven days a week. He takes a day off. God rests on the Sabbath. And if God doesn't need to keep worrying, and he's supposed to uphold the entire universe, then you certainly don't need to keep working seven days a week. You can have rest, a Sabbath, take a day off. And we need that discipline of, of Sabbath and of rest. So let me get practical. Two ways to, to engage in the discipline of Sabbath. First is Sunday worship. That you need Sunday morning worship. And let me be clear, not because the sermon's going to be great, not because the music is going to change your life, not because we need you to volunteer in children's ministry, none of those reasons. The reason above all why you need this space is because you don't live in the real world. You don't see the world for what it is. And you need to come into this place because this is the real world. 
where we gather to remember. To remember the real world, that it is God who sustains and creates this entire place. It is Jesus who seeks and forgives your sin. It is the Spirit who indwells and sanctifies you and makes you new. This is the real world. It's not Jesus who's out of touch with reality. It's us. And if you don't come into this space, if you don't mark it on your calendar, and you, you, you don't make this priority, you're going to worry. Because you're not in the real world. You don't live in the real world. You miss it. So do I. So you need to protect this space. And I realize it sounds like a pastor. Of course, that's, of course a pastor would say that. I realize that. But, but I mean it. I need this space to sing things that I don't always believe, to hear things I don't always believe, to remember the real world. So that's a communal corporate response to, to experiencing God's rest. Secondly, just a personal one, um, to experience God's rest in the moments of worry and anxiety is, is I would encourage you to, to memorize scripture. Now, I've joked before about, about being terrified to fly, and that's a real thing. When we take off, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm, you know, it's, it's a bad thing. And so one thing I do now is I, I, I've memorized some psalms, and I recite those as we take off. And I, I, I'm seriously, I'm drawn out of this fake world of this little tube I'm in that I'm going way too fast in. And I'm, I'm brought back into the real world, which I was already spinning 67,000 miles an hour anyway. I guess now we're just going a little slower up in the air. You know, it's, it's okay. I'm brought back into the real world. And, and friends, in, in your moments of anxiety and, and worry, having scripture in your, in your heart is a great way to find rest in the moment. If you see God's kingdom first, you'll know rest You'll get everything you hope for. And thirdly, you have a father who is at work in the details of your life. And I realize for many of us, this may be the hardest one to believe. That for many of us in this room, we don't experience God at work in the details of our lives. And it's why you don't believe or you're not a Christian. Or maybe you are a Christian and, and you just don't see it right now. It's, I think of the comedian Ricky Gervais who said, if I'm, who's an atheist, who said, if I want to believe in, in God, the burden of proof is on God. He should make it no, he should make it obvious to me. And what Jesus is saying here is that actually it should be obvious to you. God is working in the details of your life. And like I said, this is a problem for Christians as well. You read through the Bible, there are multiple experiences of people who were not experiencing God as active in their life. They thought he was distant, he was absent, he was removed. This is a common experience for us as humanity. And if you don't, if you're not in this moment experiencing God in your life, you don't see him at work in the details of your life, whether you're not a Christian or you are, there's three things I think Jesus is saying in response. That one, you have to remember how much you're blind to. Right? You, you, you don't think God is running your universe because you think you are. And so this morning, right, you drove to church forgetting there's an entire world around you that you have nothing to do with. That if it didn't keep going the way it's going, you'd be dead now, already. That God is sustaining birds and flowers and this spinning sphere. And we miss it because we conditioned ourselves to live in a world where we think we are running things. And you spend enough days thinking you're running things and eventually you just think you are running things. And so we're blind to a lot of what God is already doing in our lives. That's one reason we miss him. But two, your worry, I think, is actually evidence that there is a God who's actively involved in your life. All right, worry feels so terrible to us. Anxiety is so crippling to us because we were never meant to worry. Right? Our bodies feel it. We were not created for this. And like when we get sick, we call the doctor because we know our, our body's wrong in some way. Worry and anxiety should show us there's something wrong here. That if I'm, if I'm running my life and all that it leads to is worry and anxiety, maybe I'm not the one running my life. Maybe someone else is. Third, and, and I'll say this gently, but 
But this is where Jesus is going. And it's, it's are you really seeking Jesus? Because the word seek, it doesn't just mean like Jesus falls in front of you. It means you are going after him like he owes you money. Like, like you have to arrest him. Are you seeking him like that? Do you, read, do you read the Bible? Do you ask questions? Do you find Christians and ask them, why do you believe? What is it about Jesus? Are you seeking him? Because if you're not, then of course. Jesus is saying, of course you're not going to find me. You're worrying. You're running your universe. That's why you're not seeing me at work. And I would just say, listen, whether you're a Christian or, or not, if you, if you don't know how to see God, if you don't know what that looks like, then I would, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help. Because here's, listen, here's what I found in my own life. Here's what I find. that The tension within Christianity, what makes it unique as a religion, is that you're supposed to seek after God in, with everything in you, right? Knock, pound, ask. And yet, what you find, and, and it may take a long time before the door opens, but once it does, what you'll find is God was working the entire time. You just didn't see it. You thought you were hunting him. He's been hunting you. He has cornered you. It's the opposite of what you thought. But you'll look back on your life and you'll see multiple ways God was at work in the details of your life. As I mentioned, when Misty and I suffered our, our, our first miscarriage, we, we didn't know what, what God was up to, what he was doing, and it definitely didn't seem like he was at work in that detail of our life. And especially not in others' lives. Actually, the church we were at, infertility was just a, a significant issue for a number of families. And at the same time we suffered a miscarriage, two couple friends of ours suffered a, mis- a miscarriage at the same, the same week that we did. And so two, uh, two people in our church um, prayed for us, us three couples, specifically that we, we three couples would get pregnant again. And a month later, we were all pregnant again. And nine months later, Joshua, Josiah, and our son Isaiah was born into the world. It was a powerful reminder to me that I have no idea what's going on in this world, but I know God is at work in the details of my life. His name is Isaiah. I think you'll have a Batman shirt on later today. You can go and say hi. And maybe you hear that and you think, but Tim, you had a miscarriage. That was meaningless. It didn't mean anything. You, God made you suffer. He, he walked you through that. How can you trust him after he did that? Why would God make you suffer only to give you a child? And my answer to that is I don't know. I also don't know how to feed 400 billion birds. I also don't know how to make the planet go 67,000 miles an hour. And I don't know how to plant a meadow of flowers. And what Jesus is saying to me in Matthew 6 is that just because it looks like my world and just because it looks like your world may be falling apart, it's not. You need to look at the birds. You need to look at the flowers. And it's why I worry the ultimate place it should lead us is to faith, to trust, to seeking God's kingdom. Because whatever it is you're worrying about right now, whatever it is you brought in this morning that you are fearing, there's only two, two, two things to do with it. Right? One is that there's no God at work in the details of your life. That your suffering, your hardship is truly random and meaningless. And there's no one to give your worries, your anxieties, your fears to. Tomorrow is going to be worse and there's nothing you can do about it. And to be frank, even some Christians choose that route. Try to say things along the lines of, well, God, he doesn't see certain things coming or it's just an accident. He didn't want it to be like that or he, he would have stopped it if he had seen it. And I, Listen, I, I don't find the answer compelling. One, because Jesus is saying God is... 
He feeds birds, right? He's so involved in creation. I don't think, like, he's not, like, up in heaven at a desk with the paper strewn about, like, oh, no, this happened. And, oh, no, that, I mean, he's not out of control. He has control. He's feeding birds, spinning us around the sun. The one, there's either no God at work in the details of your life, or two, there is a God at work in the details of your life. And he cares about everything that happens to you, every little burden, every little fear that you have. He deeply cares because he plants flowers and feeds birds, and you are of far more value than they. So as you leave this morning, look at the, look at the trees you didn't plant and are not watering. Look at the birds you don't need to worry about feeding. God has that. And know that if he is working there, he is working in the details of your life. And take your worry to Christ. Seek him and his kingdom. He is not crazy for saying this to you, right? I mean, remember, people who say to you, bring all your worry to me, they are crazy. You would not respect them. But Jesus, you can actually listen to him. He actually can help. Because look at all he's done to seek you, to find you. He was willing to be stripped naked and go to a cross. He was willing to be publicly mocked and embarrassed to find you. He's willing to ultimately be nailed to a cross so that, you could, so that he could know you. Look at all he's done to seek you. And that's why Jesus can look at you and can look at me and ask us, why are you worried? Look what I've done for you. But what are you worried about this morning? What do you think God is not going to get right? Well, come back into the real world. Look at Christ. Look at how far God has gone to be involved in the details of your life. Look at what all he has done to seek you, to seek me. And now let us seek him. Let's pray.